In 2017, live sheep export made the news when 2,400 Australian sheep died in transit to the Middle East from overcrowding, heat exhaustion and lack of food and water, according to the ABC. It has recently been confirmed that despite the public outrage over this, there will be no ban on the live export of sheep to the Middle East over the northern summer this year. It strikes most of us as fairly clear that we shouldn't treat animals like sheep in this way. But how far down does this consideration go? The Vegan Society's website gives a definition of veganism that excludes both cruelty and exploitation. They argue that the harvesting of honey by humans is incompatible with those commitments. First of all, honey is the bee's primary energy source, and it contains essential nutrients. When the farmers take honey from the hive, they replace it with a sugar-based substitute that lacks the nutrients that honey has, and so is worse for the bees. The selective breeding of bees spreads disease. Some farmers clip the wings of queen bees so that they can't leave the hive. Some of these arguments will be more familiar from thinking about the treatment of other kinds of animals, such as caged chickens. But we're used to thinking that there's an important difference between insects and other kinds of animals like chickens or pigs or cows, namely that the latter kinds of animals are sentient, can feel pain, have desires and so on, while insects can't. But is that right? If it's not, the vegans might be right about the consideration owed to bees. Here to help us think about what it might be like to be a bee and what thinking about insect consciousness can tell us about consciousness more generally is, I'm going to say, the aspiring bee whisperer, <laughs> Colin Klein of the Australian <laughs> National University. Thanks, Holly and Richard, for having me on. You're listening to Dialogues. Today on Dialogues, I'm here with Richard. Hi. Dan's away in China today. I'm Holly. Uh, Colin, why don't you tell us a bit more about your work? Yeah, so around 2015, I started working with an insect neuroscientist, uh, Dr. Andrew Barron at Macquarie University, and we were originally kicking around some ideas about consciousness. Now, I think both of us were a bit skeptical, and initially, a lot of what we were thinking about is using insects as a test case of something that wasn't conscious to try to think, you know, what arose after insects. But the more we thought about it and the more we looked at both work coming out of his lab and theories about the evolution and the origin of consciousness, we realized that there was actually a pretty strong case to be made that most insects uh, are conscious in the sense that they've got some experience of the world. There's, in philosopher Thomas Nagel's phrase, there's something it's like to be a bee or an ant. Now, what that's like, it's not going to be, you know, that a bee is going around and uh, thinking about its day, but it'll have experiences like of color, of the world around it, maybe of pain, hunger, things like that. The argument itself uh, is based mostly on the neuroscience of consciousness. So some of this is controversial, but to give you an idea, this is from a paper we published in 2016 in Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. There's a good argument to be made that the basic ability to be conscious uh, is kind of subserved by sort of more central structures in the human brain, what's called the midbrain. Most of the time when you think about a brain, you think about the kind of foldy bit around the top. That's called the cortex. Down below that, there's an area called the midbrain uh, and the brainstem that's evolutionarily much older, uh, is present in certainly all vertebrates. And... That seems to control very basic things about whether you're conscious and general things about how you're conscious. Now, when you look at what it does, it turns out that the insect brain as a whole does more or less the same thing. So it does a lot of integration between different sources of information, kind of bringing everything together into a common viewpoint. And this is something that uh, definitely evolved at a certain point and probably evolved 
uh, when animals had to start moving around for various reasons. So you don't find it in things like parasitic worms or simple earthworms, but the kind of processing that a bee or an ant does is fundamentally similar to the kind of processing that goes on in your brain that seems to enable consciousness in you. Thanks, Colin. That's really interesting. Uh, we decided to go down to St Kilda Botanic Gardens, where there's quite a few insects, uh, to ask some people what they thought about whether insects are conscious or not. I would think they're more like machines and more act on more instinct than feeling. Right? That's my personal belief. Uh, especially when you see the, the large colonies and they're, just, they're all doing the same thing. They're communicating in a, in a way, but I think they're communicating more for a, um, I guess, a, a, a purpose for survival than any kind of feeling. What are your, what are your thoughts? Um, on how we should treat insects, I think you should treat them with an understanding that they are, while they may not have exactly like feelings as we do, we need to understand that they have like their own kind of purpose and that like in a way we don't want to interfere with that purpose. And do you also think they don't have like uh, an internal mental life that's very little experiential going on? Or? I, I don't think there's much going on. It's kind of like the single purpose mentality where it's, uh, it's the like hive mind kind of thing where everyone kind of working towards the same goal like providing for the queen. If there's a hive mind, it still sounds like there's a mind, right? So is, is there a collective experiential thing going on? or I think it's one of those things where it's like, as an individual, they don't have like necessarily a conscience, but then the more and more of them you get together, the little inputs can kind of form something of a consciousness. All beings have this collective effervescence that help us all be stronger, better, more productive, more effective in the world. So all beings, that's what I think. So just jiving off what you guys are saying before. What does collective effervescence mean? So there's energy, that we're in, in an energetic world. And so it comes from within every living being and we're all, every living action is woven together and affects every living being. So that's my belief that it does have a consciousness. It may not be at the level of human consciousness, but that it affects. We all, it's effective in little ways, every little thing. So every little bug you squish is not, is that's like limiting, right? That collective energy of, of the universe. Should we try to like um, kill less insects or just ensure that like the ecosystem is... Yeah, like no harm. How about that? That would be really good. So that's what I think. I just want to uh, pick up on something that the, the first few people we talked to said. So the first few people we talked to thought that um, insects like ants were really more like machines and they really did just act on impulse. And I just wasn't sure if that's really incompatible with your view about what insects are and the consciousness they have, because you might think that there might be something going on inside a being, yet it's still just acting purely on impulse, purely on things that are being done to it rather than doing something. So can you just tell me about how your view relates to the idea that insects are really just machines? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. Right? So on the one hand, I feel like it underestimates machines. I think it's probably ends up being a consequence of the view that you could have conscious machines, although I doubt we do. Uh, I do think it's interesting because this idea, and I think it gets run together, so on the one hand this idea that they act for a purpose or they act for survival, I mean I think a lot of things, probably including us, do that. 
with the idea that it's somehow a singular focus. And this is a kind of striking thing about bees, for example, they like defend the hive, go, you know, sting to the point of death and that sort of thing. But when you think about, and one of the things Andy and I think is really important when you, is actually in a bee's day-to-day -day life, there are a lot of kind of more fine-grained decisions that have to be made, essentially. And this is one of the reasons why we think consciousness is important. So with very simple animals, you know, they have different needs, but at any point there's basically a fixed hierarchy of what happens next. Whereas foraging animals, for example, have to decide whether to go on foraging. And I'm, I'm using decide loosely here. I mean, this is going to be a kind of, you know, um, adjudicate between different options and adjudicate between different needs. But, you know, it's not true that at any point there's a kind of one and only one thing uh, that a bee ought to be doing, right? Sometimes it should go out foraging. It's going to make complex calculations about whether to return to the hive with... Uh, you know, the information it has or to go on further, whether to defend or to whether to recruit more help and this sort of thing. And so we think actually part of the goal of, you know, insofar as it has a goal of consciousness is supporting that kind of adjudication process and that kind of action selection. So you think that they are like bees and ants are decision-making beings and they, they do that from the inside rather than just like their decisions being a function of the kind of inputs? Or, well, hmm. so in some sense it's going to be a function of the inputs, but I, I think here it's worth being careful, right? So the uh, if it means the immediate input, certainly not. Like there's going to be things that have happened to them, for example, in the past, um, probably calculations about the future, that sort of thing. So it's not, if you're thinking of reflexes, what's going on right now completely determines what any bee would do or any bee in the same situation would do, that's false. So they have you know, things like memory, they have things like um, learned preferences, learned associations, that sort of thing. So there is something more complicated going on. So I was really interested in something that the second person said, and I think this is just because I get overexcited about everything to do with groups. Um, <laughs> so they said something like they don't think there's much going on in the head of the individual ant, let's say, um, but there's a kind of hive mind, so they have the single-purpose mentality working, uh, I think you said providing for the queen. And I guess there's two ways to sort of think about that. One is like, there's nothing much it's like to be the ant, you just serve your purpose, you perform your role in the group. Um, the other thing that it made me think about though was that when all the little ants serve their purpose, there's a kind of consciousness or function at the level of the ant colony. Yeah. Um, so what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think probably not. But, you know, it's not a completely crazy idea, right? So I also think individual neurons aren't conscious, but you get enough of them together and they make something conscious. Right. Mm, right. So, you know, that's it's an important difference. There are, um, you know, philosophers and scientists who think that consciousness is just a matter of having the right kind of integration or coordination. Um, it's a theory called integrated information theory that's popular in some circles like this. Uh, and I think those people are actually happy to say that ants are conscious, ant colonies are conscious, maybe even more conscious. Um, they're also to say, you know, sometimes the internet is conscious. I think it depends on, like, right. you know, yeah. whether you catch them at the pub or not. But, <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things that we've come from, and I guess it's much more of an evolutionary perspective, is thinking, you know, the individual organism... Uh, again, has to adjudicate between, you know, on the one hand, the sensory information that's coming in, what it knows about the world, what it needs to do. And so it's a kind of specific set of information that's got to get integrated. And partly, I think, one of the things that's important about that is integrating and it gives, you know, in some sense, the, the, this is all bringing it together into something like a first person viewpoint so that, 
you know, there's a single set of sensory information, learned associations, um, and needs or desires, something like that, that all have to be brought together in order to make a decision. And part of the idea, and here we're leaning a lot on the work of a neuroscientist, Bjorn Merker, uh, who said similar things about uh, vertebrates, is that that kind of integration is what gives you this first-person perspective with a kind of feeling and valence. Um, and so, you know, ultimately gives you some kind of consciousness. I guess I wanted to ask, I mean, do you think that, um, so we have all these kinds of stimulus coming in, and uh, do you think that the particular ant being responsive to other ants in this sort of social way required to have something like a colony acting together gives us any more evidence to think that that ant mm. might be aware or have consciousness, or is it just exactly like any other kind of stimulus or input coming in, even if it wasn't social? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about it entirely that way. I imagine that's going to make more complexity. So, I mean, a lot of what we make a distinction between is the kind of the basic capacity for awareness that we think is very widespread, and then the kind of particular contents of awareness. Uh, and the contents vary a lot depending on an animal's form of life and what they do. And social animals tend to have, uh, or social insects, I believe, tend to have slightly more complicated brains because they've got to do a lot of So maybe that they're aware of different or more things, uh, but not necessarily, you know, there's not going to be a difference in that more basic capacity. That's the picture anyway. I suspect they probably originally evolved as more solitary insects and then the colony stuff kind of built up afterwards. So it's not, mm, the colony thing is not necessary for it, although of course it's really going to have an effect on what's going on. Yeah, good. So the people were kind of sympathetic to the idea that the uh, the bees might have a hive mind but not an individual mind. Yeah. This seems like kind of intuitively plausible in a way. Mm -hmm. Is there is there anything that we can we make sense of that? Is that in any way plausible? Like, yeah, I mean, you know, it's not completely implausible. So and it's I I guess it's actually kind of a contingent matter about whether it's got the right the right kind of organization. Mm -hmm. Because you could think, I mean, that they serve roughly as like neurons. So you've got some that go out and get information, they you know, they integrate it in the right way, there's some kind of persistent state. I mean, you know, that could happen, again, just in the way that uh cells in our brain do it. There's some philosophers, I think notably Ned Black, who think it's really odd to think of conscious things built up out of other conscious things. Uh. But I'm not sure why. I mean, I think consciousness is odd all around. So, <laughs> you know, it would be kind of a striking thing, though, right, to be conscious and then realize that the things that make you up are also conscious. I mean, that's, yeah. So let's talk about what the third woman said. Um, she had this idea about, you know, every little thing matters, the bugs you squish, um, oh, just yeah. everything. She, she came, she had the suggestion, let's not do any harm at all to anything. What did you make of that? Oh, my first thought was, well, that's great. I wish I could do that. But man, it's really hard not to do harm to insects. Um, so one of the things that came up, I should say, you know, in the background, I'm a philosopher of mind, philosopher of science mainly, so I don't really work on ethics. But thinking about thinking through the ethical consequences of some of this has been really sobering uh, to the extent of how many bugs we kill, mm, <laughs> essentially. Right. So, yeah, this comes up in some of the vegetarian and vegan literature that basically any modern agriculture, so obviously through pesticides, but even through tilling of the ground, kills tons of insects. Uh, we were talking before about wine picking before the show, and you know the number of spiders and bugs that live in clusters of grapes. Oh, good. Uh, the number of bugs you smash on a car windshield. Yeah, so it turns out once you start pushing on this, it is really hard not to do harm, and that's a little troubling. So um, 
wanted to sort of ask you something more general now. I saw you mm. had an article in the conversation called uh, What Is It Like to Be a Bee? Insects Can Teach Us About the Origins of Consciousness. Mm. That was my homework for the podcast. <laughs> um, so I found it really... You talked uh, um, in that article about how there's a sort of behavioural approach where um, we might try to read consciousness off behaviour. And if I understood correctly, you said... That might work okay for creatures that are sort of like us in some ways, yeah. um, but it's not going to work very well for creatures that are really unlike us, like ants or bees or other sorts of insects. And then you said, you know, that there's another way forward. There's an alternative to the behavioural approach. Um, yeah. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, so the alternative, and I used to joke about this, that, you know, if you were just reading off behaviour, so this was probably, people ask me what bees were conscious of, and I'd say, oh, they're just full of rage all the time. Uh, <laughs> that's the only thing they feel. So, you you know, it's partly a joke, but partly, you know, it's just very ambiguous what to read into animal behavior. So a lot of the approach here is trying to figure out, you know, and a lot of this is hypotheses about particular brain structures and then the particular kind of computational function that they do. And so the idea is, well, if we can find out that something's important in us for consciousness, even if we're not entirely sure why it's important... Uh, then we can go see, you know, basically the simplest animals that have it, which seem like it's insects, and then study it in a system that's much more amenable to study uh, because it's simpler, because it doesn't have this kind of complicated outgrowth. So it's, you know, uh, trying to study consciousness in a human brain is like, you know, you want to know how computers work. So someone gives you an iMac and a screwdriver and they're like, all right, you know, have at it. You don't want to, mm -hmm. you want to kind of build up and learn, you know, learn about Turing machines and, some, you know, do your computer science 101 and work up that way. So mm -hmm. that's kind of the thought on it. So I want to get us back to the beginning to, to finish mm -hmm. off. So, so we started with a story about um, whether uh, we should be eating honey or not. Mm. Um, and... So your view is that uh, bees might well be conscious, and then we're worried that, uh, well, if that's true, then we, we shouldn't be eating honey. Uh, do you think that's right? I mean, so, so one, one, view that I, one view that I started with when we were talking was, nah, that, that wouldn't really follow, because it might be that bees have a kind of consciousness, but they don't have the things that really matter. They don't have, like, pain, pleasure states, and desire-like mm. states. But as the, more, the more you've talked, the more it sounds like maybe you do think they've got desire states and things like that, so maybe we shouldn't be eating honey. Yeah, I mean, at least probably what they won't have is the sort of more complicated state so we we not only feel pain we also suffer from it because we can think about what the pain means and the past and the future and all that then you know that may be unique to humans or maybe higher primates like a lot of animals won't do that bees certainly won't um on the other hand yeah i mean i, I feel like unfortunately it's a really tough question that i feel like you know, I like honey and I eat meat <laughs> and I don't, I feel like I don't have a great argument for that anymore. So it does seem now, you know, it, it, there's also gets to be interesting questions there about whether, you know, does a bee have an interest in the honey that it makes? You know, does a beaver have some right to its dam? And I actually think, I mean, certainly you can generate that, right? So you can imagine Disney movies, you anthropomorphize them enough and you get the, the noble beaver and the evil uh, <laughs> lumberjack wants to blow up his dam or something. Yeah. So I think it's not crazy to think that you might have that kind of sentiment. So I think there's actually a lot of really interesting um, ethical and political questions around this. And unfortunately, it's one of these things where I'd like it to go the way where I get to keep eating honey, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure how to make it go that way. So, yeah. <laughs> You've been listening to Dialogues. I'm Richard Rowland from the Australian Catholic University. I'm Holly Lawford-Smith from the University of Melbourne. And I'm Colin Klein from the Australian National University. 
and Dialogues is funded by the University of Melbourne.